The Guardian. Hello again, I'm Matt Wells and this is Media Talk. Coming up this week, we give you the story behind WikiLeaks and the Afghan warlogs. Also in the podcast, Richard Desmond completes his purchase of five, while Sky secures a lucrative deal to snap up HBO's back catalogue. Plus... One show finally announces Christine Bleakley's successor. Uh, no, we haven't heard of her either. And BBC North director Peter Salmons says he's staying south-ish as it's revealed he's not relocating to Media City in Salford. Brace yourselves, this is Media Talk from The Guardian. Now, this week, BP's Tony Hayward finally paid the price for his woeful mishandling of the oil spill in the Gulf. The company's now former chief executive has been shipped off to Siberia. Well, not Siberia, it's Russia, actually, but uh, there we are. Well, he'll have plenty of time to contemplate exactly why he didn't take any notes from his media training classes. Tut, tut. Uh, Still, here's hoping neither of our panellists put their foot in their mouths to quite the same extent that he did. Uh, James Robinson is the Observer's media editor. (laughs) How are you settling into your role as Dennis Thatcher? Oh, this is going to come up every time, isn't it? I love it. Um, I'm enjoying it immensely, Matt. Thank you very much. I, I can't think of any better way to spend a weekend than in Nottinghamshire sipping bitter with former miners. I think that's a great way to... <laughs> well, it is, genuinely. I'm genuine. That is a genuine yeah. sentiment. Uh, excellent. Formerly of this parish, media writer and broadcaster Stephen Brooke is also here. Uh, um, you were at the theatre this week, apparently. I was, yes. I saw War Horse. I'm giving it three stars. Interesting, doesn't deserve the best thing I've ever seen a claim that has been getting. I uh, don't think Michael Billington's got anything to worry about. Thank you, Brookie. Uh, we'll get on to our usual mix <laughs> of the... being succinct, Yes, yeah, very good. We'll get on to our usual mix of the lewd and lucid shortly. Uh, but let's start the week with things of an altogether more serious nature, the uh, publication of the Afghan war logs. Around 92,000 classified documents from the American military were made available to The Guardian, The New York Times and the German weekly Der Spiegel by the whistleblowing website WikiLeaks. The reports give a blow-by-blow account of the six-year conflict, revealing unpublicised incidents of civilian killings, as well as information about secret operations against Taliban leaders. The White House condemned the publication. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange told The Guardian why this information needed to go public. If journalism is good, it is controversial by, by its nature. Uh, it is the role of good journalism to take on powerful abuses. And when powerful abuses are taken on, there is always a back reaction. So we see that controversy um, and we believe that is a a good thing to engage in. And in this case, um, it will show the the true nature of this war. And then the the public from Afghanistan and other nations um, can see what's really going on and take steps to address the problems. Well, earlier I spoke to The Guardian's investigations editor, David Lee, about the covert journalistic operation that was mounted to bring all this to publication. The extraordinary thing about this investigation was it's something that couldn't have happened before the internet age because, first of all, the leak itself couldn't have happened. This was a database of 92,000-odd entries in uh, a database that's then leaked over the the internet system untraceably, thanks to encryption and all that, Mm. is then passed on to newspapers, and we couldn't have... We couldn't have investigated this stuff on paper because there's just too much of it, 92,000 files. Because we were able to build a database and interrogate it uh, by using keywords and free text searches, we could actually make sense of this massive material. So the whole thing is like a product of the internet world. 
world. WikiLeaks is involved, as, uh, as you said, and they've been criticised, and by, by extension the media organ- organisations, The Guardian, New York Times and uh, Spiegel, who've been involved, of being irresponsible for publishing all of this data that, um, that could endanger the, the lives of either sources or forces who are currently serving in, uh, in Afghanistan. What do you, what, what's your view about that? There's a big difference between the WikiLeaks people, who are basically hackers, and the journalists uh, who examine the material subsequently. Uh, Their their ideology, uh, Julian Assange and the WikiLeaks people, is a hacker's ideology that they will just get everything they can off the internet and make it public to everybody. Mm. It's a sort of looking through the window, peeking through the window approach. Um, We're journalists, professional journalists. We've had a lot of experience with handling sensitive material. We've only published things which we think are safe and responsible and won't endanger people to publish. So we've only published a very limited selection from that stuff. What do you make of uh, Julian Assange himself? He's a very interesting person. He's the guy that runs uh, WikiLeaks. I thought his press conference that he gave on uh, the day that all all this came out was rather intriguing because it went on for quite a long time and he sort of cast himself in the role of, almost in the role of a journalist as well, which is clearly not your view. Julian Assange is a hacker, not a journalist. He's a very interesting character and he's a very intelligent person in many ways who thinks outside the box. And his personality is less interesting, however, than what he stands for. What he stands for is what can be done in an internet age because... If you bring these kind of databases into existence, people leak them. And remember, it wasn't Assange who leaked it. It was somebody in the U.S. military. Once they're leaked, people like Julian Assange are going to put them out there. This is the new world we're in. And he's a very interesting demonstration of how if you push the envelope to the limit, this is what is going to happen in the future. Um, And how how did the story come about? My colleague Nick Davis read a lot of material about the hoo-ha that was going on um, and the suggestion that WikiLeaks had got a lot more material. Uh, He put his head together with me and I knew something about WikiLeaks and the history of all this. I'd actually been shown in Norway months before an an early tape of the Apache helicopter video they got hold of in in which shows shows US Apache pilots shooting and killing uh, Reuters cameramen on the ground in Baghdad. So I knew that he did have access to remarkable material. Uh, Nick went off and said he believed he could persuade him to turn the material over to us. He tracked him down in Brussels, I think, uh, spent six hours negotiating with him, and he persuaded Julian... A strong, a, strong coffee in a Brussels cafe, I Indeed, think, yeah. yes. And persuaded uh, Julian that it would be a good idea to let us see the material first. Uh, and... It went on to be agreed that the New York Times would get into the act and also the Spiegel, which is a major German publication. So we ended up with a situation where these three big global media organizations were getting this stuff under embargo, as it were. And we all went and we did our own thing. We did our own analysis. If you look at the coverage, you'll see The Guardian's interpretation of this material somewhat different from The New York Times, likewise Spiegel. So we've not collaborated in the sense that we've all uh, written a joint story. Uh, we've done our own stories and we've used Julian Assange and WikiLeaks 
as a source who supplied us with material essentially under embargo, which is something we're used to. The Guardian, the New York Times and Der Spiegel uh, all published their analysis of the material and WikiLeaks has published the whole uh, source material all at the same time. Interesting cross-country, cross-continent cooperation, uh, quite unusual in the cutthroat world of journalism. It's a new landmark in international media cooperation, that's true, uh, and I think it's worked quite well. It was our idea to persuade WikiLeaks that they shouldn't just dump this stuff, but they should let sensible media organisations have a look at it and analyse it for what was in the public interest as far as we were concerned. Yes, it's a new landmark in, in international global media cooperation. You, you've talked, David, about the collaboration, uh, the embargoed nature of, of the story, uh, but also it's a, it's a very sensitive story as well. Um, you had to, I suppose, get, get quite a number of people involved in it to do the, the investigation, to protect the, the, the legal position, to get the, get the web pages ready and all of that. It's a big operation. Um, how did you how did you manage to, to keep it all, all all under wraps until the point of publication? Well, we set ourselves up in a, a, a secret conference room away from the ordinary newsroom. We called it the bunker. And um, we then tried to keep it very tight. We tried not to send emails across the Atlantic, for example, because we were afraid of interception. Um, we tried to use basic security precautions. And it was really quite tricky because trying to keep a secret that involves three international media organisations, not easy. I should think after a month of trying to do this, there were probably like 500 people across the world, technical people and journalists, who knew about the story. Uh, and I'd always assume that American intelligence must have known what we were doing. If they didn't know what we were doing, it's rather frightening to think that the world's most powerful military power doesn't know what's going on. David Lee, investigations editor of The Guardian there. Uh, uh, Stephen Brook, uh, what do you make of Mr Assange and WikiLeaks? I think, despite a lot of commentary on US blogs, that this actually shows the power of old media. Right. Because uh, we had the Reuters cameraman footage of them being killed in the Apache helicopter that was mentioned by David a few months ago, which WikiLeaks put out. Mm. The headline, and, and for which Bradley Manning, the uh, the guy he mentioned, was uh, was arrested. Yeah, yeah. And the headline, or the way that they sort of displayed that, the headline was something like "collateral murder," and there was a quite provocative caption that was put on the video before it was at the start of when it was released. Yeah, this and, is the, on, on, on WikiLeaks. Yeah, yeah, and WikiLeaks got a lot of flack for that. Yeah. And I think that they've realised that they need the, you know, they need professional journalists to help them in this digital age sift a mass of data uh, that these leaks are now providing. And Jay Rosen, who's at the uh, University of New York, described them this week as the world's first stateless news organisation. And I think that's wrong on several counts because they're not really a news organisation per se, although they get access to very newsworthy material. Well, David Lee described them as a source. Exactly. And although <clears throat> the mechanics and the quantum of the information they're providing uh, is different now because we're in a digital age and there's you know 92,000 documents to look at. The fact that uh, they are providing information as uh, a source does, that's been going on since time immemorial with journalism. Yeah, and they're not the source, are they? I mean, they're, they're not the source. Yeah. The, the source is the they're person who chose to, to leak it. Yeah. They're a conduit. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, yes. I'll just state the obvious. Sorry, yeah. I know that it's sounding churlish. But, but exactly the same thing happened with the Telegraph MP's expenses. The person who got that information, who was working for the government in the 
office and put it onto the discs, then passed it mm. to a middleman, Henry Gwinter, who then went you know, knocking yeah. doors on mm. Fleet Street, and he was the one who struck the deal. I mean, it is remarkable. It is obviously a, a hugely significant event in the sense that it is, it is traditional journalism in the sense that the source leaks the information to, in this case, you know, a media organisation or a website. Yeah. But, the, you, do, you know, you can now get the source material without having to have it all passed through this filter, the yeah. mass media. I think that is very significant. Okay. Um, the point to make, though, is that nobody is that interested to go through and look at the entire source unmediated i thought that mm. you know, 14 pages in the guardian was too much <laughs> was quite enough yes absolutely. what news story in our lifetime is worth 14 pages well this one clearly is uh, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that's that a there loyal if you do want to uh, look at all the text video uh, and the interactors on the war logs go to guardian.co.uk slash afghanistan I'm Matt Wells. This is Media Talk, the original and most informative media podcast out there. Uh, time to quicken the, quicken the pace. Brookie and James, let's get through some of the other uh, media stories of the last seven days. Uh, let's start with Peter Salmon, um, I mentioned earlier, revealed by Maggie Brown, uh, the BBC's director of the North, uh, will be staying put in the South. This is, a, this is an outrage. Outrage. And he's a northerner as well. Yeah. And by he's, birth. And, and, and his, he's married to a northerner. His wife has a northern name, Sarah Lancashire. Indeed, but, yes. <laughs> it's not, wrong on every count. It's wrong on every count. It but, does seem slightly tricky to ask your staff to put their to turn to turn their lives upside down by moving north if you're not prepared to do it yourself. I mean, it's fairly it's fairly indefensible. They're saying he's saying, isn't he, that 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 well, he's not going to get any re- relocation expenses. He's going to be commuting on, under under yeah, his own. He struggles, team, but... struggles for cash as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, poorly paid. This is the thing, though. This is the this is this is this is what the the rank and file uh, Stephen say is that is that he can afford it because yeah, he's exactly got this massive salary and, yeah. ri- and a, r- a rich partner, and they they can't. They don't have the luxury of being being able to choose or be, being able to choose to stay to live where they are and travel up north. This is extraordinarily damaging for this whole BBC North project, and you just wonder whether. Uh, because he is only going to be up there part time, that there will be a gradual unwinding of this whole, you know, idea of having this huge BBC centre based in somewhere other up, than he'll, London. He'll be up there full time, but he'll just come back, you know, back, back at weekends, won't he? Well, BBC Breakfast is moving, probably the one show as well. Um, that's uh, the, the BBC Breakfast people are not very happy, are they? No, but I mean, you have to. It's a, it's a classic dilemma. You can't work unless you t- take some of your best shows your hit shows up there i mean the one show's got a lot of regional content anyway it's yeah. in some senses a regional show and that's what it's there for the be- breakfast is you're going to have the, the this morning dilemma aren't you when this morning was in liverpool it was it had a different character and i think it was part of its charm but of course you can't you have to helicopter up you know all the talent helicopter loads yeah. of celebrities who, who are in town you know tom cruise in town to promote his new film or not because he has his careers in the doldrums, um, but yeah, and and that's that's the, the Tom, central dilemma. Those, Tom, those... when you go up to Manchester, Salford, please, we really you can't, want you to can't do it. It's not going to work. You're going to have to go down the line, do a satellite link or whatever. Not, the thing is, it's and not, it's even not the same. It's Salford. It's not even Manchester. It's not even Manchester. Um, it's great, so Manchester. I, but it's a hugely important thing that that this is that this that this has been done. Yes, but I, I mean, think they made the wrong we all choice. Pay the license fee. They you know. should have put BBC Two up there. Yeah, this is what they should. They should have put a whole channel up there. This is what Steve Hewlett said right at the start on this podcast. Cast when he when it, when when he, when he was famous and we were still talking to him. <laughs> yes. and, I agree uh, with Steve. Yeah, I say that, Matt. Well, we're going to have a T-shirt made. I agree with Steve. Listen, speaking of the one show, uh, they've announced the re- replacement for Christine Bleakley. Uh, 
Alex Jones? Yeah, she's an auton. She's it's it's like the nesting consciousness has made this replicant of Christine Bleakley. Well, <laughs> and yeah. you know, it's his one we prepared earlier. It's a bit weird because all the spin on that was that we're going to get this proper serious female journalist to um balance up our co-host who's a stand-up comic so yeah. we can have you know someone asking the proper questions and that doesn't quite it, seem to be her background is she a does it? serious journalist she's a, she's well she's no. a tv presenter right. really she's, she, she was a drama student who started a number of reality yeah. tv shows and she have done the hard yards like we have no, no. <laughs> not a serious investigative stuff or spouting rubbish on a podcast yeah, yeah. No, none well, of those things the, they should have gone for Anne leslie helped them with well, it. You, well you mentioned Anne leslie her paper the, the daily mail has already found some fruity pictures of uh, miss jones didn't that, oh, um, they were. You know what? They were from a uh, a charity calendar that really? half of Wales posed for. Yeah, I'm sure you've got worse than your bottom drawer. You know, um, her life's ambition is to join is to join out. join uh, this morning. Though it, she actually said that oh, in a really? recent interview with a, a fairly obscure magazine, she said that her life's her ambition would be, her dream job would be to join Philip and Fern as it, as it then was um, on well, the morning sofa, which is slightly she's worrying. Inching closer, isn't she? Yes. Yeah, Another closer. one. I think the one she's much better than this morning. This morning's rubbish these days. Um, when uh, do you get tired to watch it? Well, well you know, when Sky I'm, Plus. When I'm Can I say since Sky I quit, I've not watched it for one day? Uh, Deputy Dog on the blog in the comment section said, "I, um, I noticed." No one is suggesting Miss Jones has a hard act to follow, unlike Mr. Manford, who has to try and be rude and ignorant at the same time. Very good point. Um, uh, now, listen, Ian Wright, uh, I want to move on to him. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolute yeah. Radio have signed, signed him up. He's the, you know, sort of loudmouthed former Arsenal yeah. player to do their post-match analysis show for the new football season. Uh, I wonder, have these people have these people not watched live from Studio 5? Oh, it's a brilliant show. What are you on about? Um, <laughs> I think Ian Wright's good. He's, 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 no, good. he's good. No, I know you're going to say he's not, but he's he's got personality. He's got he's he's you know he's a live wire. He's he I think least, he's fun. I'd I'd like him. I like his presence. I like his on screen presence. He does at least know about football. He knows that was my next point. Yeah. He knows a lot about football. Um, I'm not sure what he can bring to the debate when we're discussing you know whether you know whether uh, same sex marriages work or whatever you know and he's not the most mm. insightful commentator on those issues yes he's, on, he's a bit his, out of his depth on in, that, slightly on the arsenal whether arsenal you know whether terry Henry was right to leave arsenal when he did i can think of no better person to to discuss that so I think his quality right. is that he will keep things moving but the thing about him is you do need some you know outriders that he can bounce things off and you know Absorb, are, you, are, you, are you volunteering? No, I can't. <laughs> are you volunteering <laughs> to bounce off Honestly, the Honestly, if Stan uh, Collymore can do it, if Stan Collymore can do it, he's got an even stronger Brummie accent than me. Yes. Then yes. Ian Wright can make a success of it. I'm feel, I feel sure of that. Okay. Uh, we, we, so, would you, so will you, you'll give him a go on, on Absolute and you'll rather than Five Line? No, no, I won't actually no. be listening to him. No. No. Okay. Don't be ridiculous. Honestly, it's just... <laughs> you, this, this, no, I will, I will, I will, real, I will. They're not real opinions, are they? They're, no, they're, they're, no, they are real opinions. I love Ian Wright. I'm a big fan. I think he's going to... I think you, you underestimate him at your peril. We and should, I will be tuning in. Okay. Uh, we should mention, before we leave this section, Tyler Brule, who's our favourite uh, <laughs> media, media tycoon, uh, 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 around whom controversy uh, has stuck because of the uh, uh, closing stages of the vote for the Media Guardian 101st most important person in the media were, um, were, were clouded in controversy. Well, what I find astonishing about this is that the Whovi, who, who, Dr. Whoviers, or how are Hooniverse, what do you say? The Whovians? Yeah, the Whovians, who were, you know, uh, have got the internet grafted well, onto themselves, didn't organise an internet campaign to get their man, Stephen Moffat, <laughs> yes. who was rivals with Tyler Brule, up. In the voting, it was all traced to uh, to to computers in in Marylebone, which is where the um, 
the headquarters of Wink Media, whatever it is. Yeah, so. no, I've been there recently. Have you really? Yeah. Well, I might have done a little something for monocle.com. No, right. Thanks for noticing. Uh, I, I'm afraid I didn't. No. Anyway, so uh, uh, so th- th- there we are. He uh, he took it. He took it all in quite good humour. Um, actually, no, he didn't. He phoned it. I was going to say. I was, I, I'm sure I heard a 45 minute conversation between <laughs> someone on the Guardian and Tyler Brule, <laughs> yes, in which he right. seemed to be taking it rather. Yes, rather badly, but yeah, um, unhumorously, is this? No. Yes, I was. I was trying to be kind. But he came no. round in the end. No, because he's a good guy. He's a very talented man. Uh, finally, a sad story this week: uh, the world's oldest tweeter and Facebooker, Ivy Bean, died aged 104. Uh, her sad death also means Peter Andre's fan base has taken a hit. Uh, excellent. There's more, more on all these uh, stories of MediaGuardian.co.uk. Time to talk television. Last week we were getting hot under the collar about Richard Desmond's potential purchase of Channel 5. Well, that £100 million deal went through in record time, meaning Dirty Dares now has a national TV channel to add to his business portfolio, which of course includes The Express and Star newspapers, OK Magazine, and uh, some more fruity titles that make him lots of money. Uh, but without doubt, the most exciting news from TV Land is the news that Rupert Murdoch's B Sky B has snapped up the rights to all past, present, and future HBO content. Programs like The Sopranos, Sex and the City, Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, and a show you may have read about once or twice in The Guardian called The Wire. James, this was your story. So, uh, mm. you know, w- what's all this about? How much has he paid? How, wh- when does it start? I believe industry sources estimate the deal to be worth around £150 million over five years. It's actually not that much in some ways. If you think about the, the content they're getting, some of it old, some of it, but much of it new, including the new Scorsese miniseries. About uh, which there's lots of chatter. Meant, meant to be brilliant. Boardwalk Empire, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, about 1920s gangsters and so on. I mean, that'll be, that should be a huge hit. I mean, it's simple. You but know, it's Sky- not just about the new stuff. It's about the back catalogue yeah, as well. Yeah, so, so it's no, a huge it's amount about, of stuff. Guess, but, you know, some repeats, but also maybe for the catch-up service on... Yeah, exactly, which they're about to upgrade and uh, expand. Yeah, so that, that's huge, hugely valuable yeah. and interesting content for, for, uh, for customers. And, you know, it's, it's Sky. I've had long conversations with Sky about this since the story appeared. Uh, you know, <laughs> Sky haven't really ever cracked the content problem in terms of uh, they've bought in The Simpsons, they've bought in you know, big programs throughout their 20 year history. Well, one failed point, to get original yes. homegrown stuff really going strong. I can't remember which of the many Sky One cha- channel controls it was who said, but one of them did, did say that they wanted to make Sky One the HBO, HBO. of Britain. But, I mean, but hey, that, just buy but it. it. But, but why bother? Just, yes. just spend a fraction of the, the amount and buy some good shows in. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good deal. I, I've been th- pondering this, and I don't know that it is such a good deal because presumably. Super keen people, and we know a few of them at The Guardian, who love programs such as The Wire and Sex and the City, have already seen them a million times or got the boxed set. So there's, a, you know, the audience for that long tail is slightly lessened. And you said the crucial two words, which was bought in, and they did that with The Simpsons, and they did that with 24, and they did that with Lost. And if you've got a new show, you really do need a terrestrial television to give it a big oomphy launch, which Channel 4 did so successfully with Lost and what, you know, got 3 million, 4 million people watching that very complex show in the early days. Now with this Martin Scorsese um, miniseries, which has got the Twitterati talking, I've already forgotten the name of it, Boardwalk something or other. Empire, Boardwalk yeah. Empire, I think. The, the, it's just not going to have anywhere near the same amount of impact being only available to Sky subscribers, no matter how many uh, billboards they put up about it, the coverage of it will be so much less. It won't get on the cover of Radio Times, and if, uh, well, you know, HBO. The Wire, the wire, wire did yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, How many people watched The Wire? 
know, yeah. Well, I was trying to say that Dawn, I think well, Dawn might the, look for other opportunities rather than Richard. Well, yeah. she's been chief executive there for, for a while. She's been chief executive practically everywhere, hasn't she? Well, she's <laughs> been chief, chief executive twice, and it's not been as good the second time round. Yeah. For a whole bunch of reasons, which aren't really her fault, but changing media landscape, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, yeah. Stand by executive recruitment agencies. Uh, we've reached the end of the show, but before we head back to our day jobs, uh, Stephen and James, uh, I'm sure you've been out and about. Uh, Stephen, you, you're normally good for gossip. What have you got? Well, I hear that there's uh, things down at Trinity Mirror haven't gone according to plan with their you know, outsourcing. They want to sort of slash uh, 200 sub-editorial positions because of uh, cheap regulations which means because of, because of what regulations it's this uh, t-u-p-e oh t-u-p-e yes. yeah is this your sort of, the sort of gossip you're after yeah well i'm, well, I'm wondering where it's going <laughs> <laughs> oh well just basically that you can't get rid of a whole bunch of staff and then if you do offer them jobs at the outsourcing agency you've got to pay them exactly the same amount of money that you previously paid them so in terms of it being a cost-cutting exercise uh, it doesn't really cut the mustard. Okay. Um, I do also, if you oh. want something a bit lighter, I happen to bump into a uh, fellow media pod panellist oh, yes. on the tube, and uh, Paul Robinson, and right. found with some alarm what his uh, morning choice of daily newspaper was. It's not the Daily Express, is it? No, worse. <laughs> worse <laughs> than the Daily Express. Yeah. Uh, what's yeah. worse than the Daily Express? Stop the star. It could, could, it be, could it be the Times? No, no, worse. Uh, I don't know. Wall Street Journal. Metro. The Metro. No, oh, that's Metro. terrible. We all read the Metro. I read the Metro. Yeah. It's a freebie. Huh? Yeah, well, it's fine. Yeah, you should be buying your Guardian every day. Obviously, I'd read the Guardian from cover to cover before I got... Well, you read it online, didn't you? Yeah, for I free. did. For free. Um, yeah. I know, I know. I, 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 I feel we should, have a, we should have a donations box when we come in the building. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the museums. Yeah. <laughs> we need to wrap up now. Man. I think we do. Um, uh, James. Uh, gossip. Um, sadly, as I... <laughs> I spent a lot of time in the House of Commons the last few weeks, um, it's all which is all—it's not confidential at all. It's all—they're all, they're you know, all shorter dull, than in real life, and they appear on telly, aren't they? Yeah, I did notice that, but I did see—I did briefly meet Kate Walsh from the aforementioned show uh, live from Studio Five the other week, a fellow oh, right. Brummie who was uh, who was charming. Um, but it did. It was quite amusing. She turned up in the shortest dress <laughs> I've ever seen anyone wear, and she was stood on the. Uh, the terrace, the Commons Terrace, with about 180 leering, mostly male MPs, and just the sight of her picking her way through the crowd <laughs> yeah. with a glass of, you know, Chardonnay in this time. Skirt. Any closer, she I would did have fallen into the Thames. It was, uh, it was, it was an interesting spectacle. Thank you very much uh, for that. Thank you very much, both of you. Um, you'll find links to all the best bits we've been talking about at guardian.co.uk/slash/media-talk, which is also the place where you can find all the information about finding us on Twitter and Facebook. Media Talk is produced by Ben Green. There'll be a mystery presenter in the chair next week uh, but I'm not here you see holiday uh, but for now Abby Matt Wells thank you for listening goodbye <laughs>